if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Yeah, there you go. Sending out good vibes. So even as a schizotypical, I've got a really good memory. And yes, I remember how ill I've been and all of the many uh, times I've been to the hospitals and all of this kind of stuff ever since uh, the, that initial episode with that huge level of vaccine. Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. We're going to be chatting with the one and only Cliff High a little bit later. We kind of had to push this one to the front of the line because uh, the YouTube video is getting tons of views and it's uh, only half the interview and the audio is a little spotty because it's from the live stream. So we figured we'd rush this one out so we could get the full audio out there in its uh, entirety. And uh, yeah, I think we've got those problems cleared up. So that shouldn't happen again. But yeah, so you guys get to enjoy some Cliff High and another bonus up. We're going to release another app on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, you're welcome again. Uh, but first, before we get into all that fun stuff, I will introduce Grambo First Blood Dunlop. How's it going, <laughs> hey, buddy, bro? Good. How you doing? Are we going to put this whole uh, audio with the intro on YouTube and not necessarily replace that other one, but put it on there and maybe link to it or something like that? So people might, uh, you know, the, for the YouTubers out there, they might want to listen to the whole show there as opposed to in podcast format that's right okay precisely right on well cliff high that was a fantastic show with him we got into some spiritual stuff and of course about his um predictive linguistics and the algorithms and what he thinks is coming up and i mean he's been you know he's been right about some stuff for sure and he's just he's just a fascinating dude we talked about even vaccines and stuff and uh, some geopolitics uh, i mean it just goes on and on he was he you can talk about anything with this guy it's fantastic a lot of people just want to talk about cryptos it seems but uh we don't yeah. play that game we go all over the place there's not a lot of crypto talk in here so if you came for cryptos look elsewhere of course if you're here for cliff high and you're not here for us you can always skip ahead there's always a timestamp in the show notes uh we do these half hour 45 minute intros so you can always skip those if you want yeah, we get into listener stories and listener emails and feedback and some some other current event stuff that me and Darren are involved in. That's right. Possibly. I'm not really involved in anything too current and venti this week, I don't think. I can't think of anything. No. Nope. Um, I don't know what oh, the flat earth thing. The, we'll see about the flat earth thing. Yeah. Well, there is the, uh, what's his name coming again? Nassim Harriman's uh Oh, necessary. Jamie Janover. Yeah, Jamie Janover. Son of a bitch. I got to email him. I keep forgetting. Yeah. He's coming to present at uh, a casino out here in April, at the end of April. I'll put it in the show notes. Gray Eagle? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And it's, it's going to be the, um, you know, the unified field theory of Nassim Harriman. Fantastic stuff. Can't wait to go see him. Maybe meet some, uh, meet some listeners there as well. 
Yeah, should be fun. Uh, we're gonna head down to that. Uh, I don't think I don't know if I'm gonna do the flat Earth thing. What flat? Maybe we'll see. We're talking about going up to Edmonton for the flat. Oh, no, that's episode. not that's not till fuck. That's way down the line. Oh, is it? That's like the fall or late summer or something. Oh, is it? Well, yeah. maybe we'll go then. We'll, we'll see. see. I'm not even. I don't even really care about that to be honest. With no, you. me either. It'd that's just be. It'd be go up to. It'd be fun to go up just to. I thought it was to in check a it out, weeks. but honestly, like just there's so many other things to focus on and talk about. It just you know. Yeah, if it's not in a couple weeks, then fuck it. I guess. Jesus. So what do you got? What do you got, buddy? What have you been up to? It's it's hard to come up with a lot of content, I guess, when we're pumping out episodes this quick. I got no. I've got some uh, cool listener stories here. I mean, I've got a, some good feedback for me specifically. Well, maybe maybe what? you and me <laughs> um, about. Uh, so we had that. So just some goodies. No, we had that. Yeah, sure. And now another edition of the Grime American Goodies by the people, by the people. Well, we had that episode or a couple of them where um, one of my one of the guys on my hockey team got kicked uh, kicked out for calling somebody a oh, fag. We getting back into this? No, 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 no. Just that we had feedback, and it's an interesting point of view. I want to read it, and you know, and and I and I and I feel like we. The good news it. is if you start dropping that on the episodes and the musicians can't monetize the videos. Not that we have that problem now anyway that we use, you know. I don't understand what you're talking about. That's okay. Because you think we're going to get kicked off of YouTube or something like that? No, remember the whole ad fiasco yeah, 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 with the yeah, Randall yeah, Carlson yeah. thing? That what does that have to do with anything I just said? I don't think you monetize hate speech. Oh, okay. That's what, yeah, I thought that's what you meant. Anyways, do you think that we condone that? On the show? Yeah. Probably. You think? Condone what? <laughs> the, the fact, the, the calling people fags and stuff. No, I don't. Okay. I don't think so either, but it might have, it might have came across that way. Maybe well, not because. Not for me, it didn't. Well, maybe because we were talking about how it used to be like just a normal insult and now it's hate speech probably. I don't know. But I did mention, and I don't know if it was in both episodes or not, that I do think that that like hate speech is a curse. I, I do believe that there's some, you know, that negativity does come with an energy that's not healthy. You know, I do believe that. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Anyways, this is a, a great email. It's from uh, Joshua. It says, Dear Graham, longtime listener here. I hope this email finds you happy and in good health. I really, really enjoy your show, Great America, and I pass it along to anyone who asks me what my favorite podcast is. I've turned my brother and several coworkers on to y'all's show. I'm not sure what your demographic is, but I recall once y'all saying it's 90% men, and I wonder if it's straight men. Well, I'm a transgender woman living in New York, so I'm happy to represent the 0.5% of your queer demographic. With that being said, when I listened to your podcast number 270 and I heard you and Darren arguing over the use of fag, I almost unsubscribed and left you two in the digital dust. I can hear your sort of your, I can hear your side of the story of emotions getting bubbled over and then spewing some sort of hate. I just believed, I think it's talking about um like the actual in the hockey environment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just believe that someone like you and Darren who are spiritually educated wouldn't condone such language. In addition, calling you old or short is not hate speech. People were not discriminated, hunted, beaten, and killed because they were short and old. Yet. <laughs> Please be conscious that you never know who's listening to your podcast. 
who you may be affecting positively or negatively. I would hate to stop listening and donating to your show because of your language. All the best. J-O-S. Way to go, Graham. I told you. I told you. I hope I'm not being implicated. I hope I'm not getting me too'd in your scandal. No, we we might be. I mean, no, but it's very interesting. I mean, so it's not hate speech because short and old. And I mean, she didn't include fat um, in there, right? I mean, I did say fat and slow, but and bald. I think I said bald too. Still not hate speech. Um, that because they were not discriminated, hunted, beaten, or killed because they were short and old. That's right. Yeah. Are, like, are say, short people. I don't are, have to agree with hate people, speech to know that you shouldn't be saying that shit. Aren't more CEOs tall? Like, isn't there a whole bunch of stats about like how short know. people are? You're definitely, clutching like, that straw. Definitely. So. Uh, Just apologize <laughs> and let's move on. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's a it's an interesting point though. So I guess. You know, hate speech is defined if if that demographic was discriminated like that, right? So, that's right. Okay, that's. I just didn't know that that was the definition of it. So well, I think I I, like this is a good. It's an interesting. That, I think it's, it's an interesting get even opinion. Looser, but yeah, I mean that's like my I say, concern. You shouldn't need legislation to not say things like that. You know. Yeah, that's my question. That's my concern. Is it's I'm not condoning it. I just. Think it's a slippery I was, slope. That's I, was I was just wondering who decided they, it and how they decided what is and what isn't that speech. Yeah, true. It's a great, it's a good email, a good perspective on it. That's right. I'll straighten you out. You know what I think though, because I was also getting the demographics. The only place that really gives me any demos is YouTube, and I've oh, heard that man. YouTube's like eighty percent male already. Um, hmm. That's what that's what I heard. So uh, those could be skewed. Tough to say. You don't have a demographic from the podcast? Like, did Libsyn doesn't do any stats about that? No, they'll give you, like, technology and all that, but no. They aren't asking, does your podcast player oh, you ask how a, old you are? Or what? Well, you think they'd have just a generic, like, survey every now and then just to try and get some demographics. We like, could do who's a survey. listening to podcasts? We could send out a survey. It's not the same. <laughs> what are you talking about? Wouldn't we want to know who's listening to our podcast specifically? I guess. So, so how do we do? You want to, why don't you do no, that? On we're not, your, I'm not doing a fucking. Why don't you do that on your Twitter? Make it a make it a multiple series. I can only do four. What do we, just would you listen to me for a sec? Make it a multiple <laughs> series. Um, what do you? What is it again? What do you call it? You do it like a debate or what is it again? A, a poll. A poll. Right, you do your poll, but just have it multiple series like. Are you this? And then take the percentage. Are you this? And each tweet is like a different, uh, you know, slice into That's the uh, Twitter, though, not the podcast. There's a whack of people that aren't involved in the podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's not really. Yeah, I'm looking for the yesterday stuff. Yeah, no more initiatives. Anyways, we're done. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. What else you got, motherfucker? Okay, well, I got, uh, you know, the usual UFO quote of the week, and uh, I've got uh, a really interesting... That's the only American goodie you have? I got an interesting precog synchronicity, but she calls it a coincidence, but I think she's underestimating the the meaning. You had to switch up, switch it up, eh? 
You're uh, talking. You just said I could I, do the UFO. No, and play. then I had the, and then I was started talking about the other one. And we'll get to that. So this is a, a short one for you. I feel that the Air Force has not been giving out all the available information on the unidentified flying objects. You cannot disregard so many unimpeachable sources. That was from John McCormick, Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States, January 1965. Nice one. Nice save, even though you played like I caught you off guard, even though you suggested that we do the UFO quote. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It would help if we went to this next. I turned up the I'm wrong a fader. Fuck. With synchronicities. All over the web And Darren is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet All right, this is from Ashley. If if people don't want their name said, please tell me at the beginning of the email. Um, And also please continue emailing me their stories and synchronicities and sightings and feedback and suggestions for guests. I mean, a lot of our, of our favorite and best guests have come from listener suggestions. Actually, one guy uh, has been booking a guest for us, Darren. Who? Yeah, he's emailed them and everything, which has been fantastic. Was it's that the artist? Yes, it is. The psychedelic yeah, artist? that's fantastic. I'm Are you lining that up? Uh, it's lined up already. Oh, is no, it? it's not. It's, line, it's getting lined up, yeah. Schedule is tight. I know. Yeah. So here we go. I am a new listener making my way through the back catalog. And I love the fact that you guys appreciate weird coincidences and synchronicities. I'm not sure where this one falls, honestly, but here's my story. I moved to Hawaii in 2009 when my husband was stationed there. He deployed when I was a few weeks pregnant, came home for her birth, and then had to go back to Iraq. I almost immediately started having weird dreams after my daughter was born and it carried on for a few months. I started dreaming about this girl I went to junior high with and never saw again. I don't know if we would ultimately wound up just running in different circles or if life took her somewhere else, but I didn't see her much after that. I don't remember what the dreams were about specifically other than we were in a really large building that kind of reminded me of some kind of store. I was having nearly the same exact insignificant dream over and over again. Nothing of great importance happened, but the weird and somewhat unsettling feeling from the dreams would linger with me the next day, probably because I knew that I knew her, but I couldn't put a name to it. At some point, another person I was friends with in my youth and literally never talked to anymore messaged me over Facebook and asked if I knew the whereabouts of a girl we went to school with, the girl who had been showing up in my dreams. I thought it was weird then, but no, I hadn't heard from her and Looking up her name on Facebook didn't yield any results, so I left it at that. Cue to a few weeks later. Dream is still persisting, though. Now I chalk it up to being related to my recent conversation. I went to a large shopping mall there in Hawaii that was split into two with a parking lot and road dividing the east and west buildings. I was waiting for a friend outside of a store, looking down, messing around on my phone, and a group of girls walked past. I'm still looking down, and I can hear one of their voices, which sounded strangely familiar. They had already passed and weren't facing me at this point, so I told myself, if I hear or see them again, I'm going to get a better look. So I went the entire time throughout the east side of the mall and didn't run into them again. And I walked over to the west building and was looking down at my daughter again when 
A group of girls walks past and I hear that same voice. I whipped my head around and spilled out the first name I could come up with. Tony? I figured it was none of them and I hadn't gotten the name wrong. And then it would just be an awkward weirdo that I'd just be an awkward weirdo. One of the girls turns around and boom, it is the girl I had gone to school with, been dreaming about and hadn't seen for a decade. We got to hanging out pretty frequently, and the first time she came to my apartment, my next-door neighbor and her were talking, only for me to find out my next-door neighbor worked in the very same office as Tony's partner. Even more coincidental at that point. I wish I could say there was some more important or profound reason for meeting up with her, but there isn't. It was more or less only hardly keeping in touch through social media, but it definitely was one of the weirdest coincidences I've experienced. Thanks, guys. Nice. What do you think? You're going to rate that? I think that's a rateable one. I mean, the meaning might not even fully have, have uh, manifested yet. I mean, maybe later on she's going to realize why that happened, but it's pretty crazy that she's having this repetitive dream over and over when Dreams there's a connection next yeah. door and then there's a, it's a precog thing where she actually ends up seeing her in the mall. Like, it's, it's like. Yeah, precogs, that's more of a, you know what that is? That's a motherfucking. Yeah, yeah, man. I it's just it's uh, I'd be interested to know if she ends up having any future relations with that. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to rate it or no? Oh, let's wait. Okay, because you, right now it's not going to be good. I'm not going to lie. Have you ever but heard it, of? compounds could be better you heard of women having um lack of dreams during pregnancy and then dreaming after pregnancy no i don't know if that had anything to do with it could be androgynous dmt releases yeah yeah maybe your body's like not giving it to the the kid anymore just recycling it through your body and brain could be you know Hmm, interesting i wonder if that would be a thing is that one of those drums you were talking about that's playing right now? What kind of drum is that? The one with the little slots in it. Oh, a, a, a dul- hammer dulcimer? Hammer dulcimer. drum. What is it? I don't think that's one of those. That sounds too contemporary and electronic. Is it an electronic hammer dulcimer? I don't know, maybe. Is this something about this? Jinko's really got something to it. Is this the ripple stick jingle? Yeah. Just drag it on? That's good. (laughs) You got any more synchros? Uh, No, that's about it, buddy. I think. What do you got? Uh, What was the poll last week? That could be a thing. You still doing the poll? I've been doing a poll a week. I can't remember exactly what this week's poll was. I'm going to check. Can't be far. Polls are usually easy to find. Keep talking about something. Yeah, uh, well... I've, maybe I've, I didn't do a fucking poll this week. I thought I did. I was sure I did. Did they delete it? Twitter doesn't like our polls? I can read more feedback from uh, Think Not on Instagram. Now, last episode, did I read the uh, his feedback from Trish and Rob's uh, synchronicity episode? Uh, nope. 
Okay, well, I'll read all that then. So this is, uh, again, you can contact uh, Graham, me, through uh, Instagram, at the Graham America Show, and, and Darren's on Twitter. Uh, let's see here. And you could also go to YouTube and, and try and tamper the trolls down a little bit. So this is Think Not on Instagram. He says, and this is about uh, episode 274 with Robin Trish McGregor about some massive synchronicities and alien contact and stuff like that. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Robin Trish's unique perspective on synchros and the UFO world was a first for me. Even though logic dictates that my that a synchronicity must play a huge role in ufology, it is something that I've never come across before. For example, when I've listened to such notables like Stephen Greer and Graham Hancock discuss their subjects in detail, I think I've read this before. I think I'm going to skip ahead. I don't want to piss everybody off. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, I responded. Thanks again. Glad you enjoyed it. Da, da, da. He says, I think you're most definitely on the right track, my friend. After years of delving into the UFO slash alien intelligence slash spirit phenomena, I've come to the conclusion that much of the interaction that goes on is indeed experimental. I've had experiences that range from lights in the night sky responding to my mental, mentally formulated to images placed in my mind at a seance that ended up being true most of the time and sometimes false. There is much that I came to call the Loki trickster. The Loki trickster phenomena that indicated to me anyway that there is an intelligence out there that is as much interested in our response to the phenomena as they are to humanity as a whole. I fully realize that this may seem very difficult for many to accept, but I have found that 20-odd years of this is somewhat difficult to ignore. I've come to realize that sometimes they tell the truth, but they also do not just see how it... But they also do not just to see how we react. That makes me think of uh, when I was out seasetting and, and me and one other guy saw this light and we were so excited about it because it... It, it spun and flashed and then it moved silently and then it like bobbled and walked. Like it wasn't a plane for sure. For sure? Yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure, and, for sure. Uh, and we were saying to each other, even if this was, because we were just getting set up, like we had just arrived at our spot. We were just getting set up and we said to each other, even if that was just the only experience, it was worth it coming out here. Like we were so excited. We were like, yeah. And then sure enough, that was it for the rest of the night. Dead quiet, nothing. That was the only sea city experience of the evening? Pretty much. And then Jerry, I was talking to the guys about that. Some of the guys that follow us on Jerry's like, do you think that, did you realize that that, you know, that's probably why? And yeah, that's, I mean, our consciousness, that's the trickster right there, maybe, you know? Here, here's a little peep of us to get our reaction and then say, okay, you think that's good enough for the night so we won't come back? Here's a little trickster for you. We call it sea city. Richard Tansen camp, meditating, look at the sky. Okay, we don't have to put a label on it. You put a label on it. It's C-SETI. I know, I don't, okay, I'm just going to call it some other thing then, because it's not, maybe we shouldn't be using that. What do you call it? Label. Contact? Oh, nice. I found the poll. Okay, hang on, I'm I'm not finished this yet. What? It took me a very long time to discover this for certain, at least in my own mind. And what I have found is that I cannot trust what I have either witnessed or what I have experienced and state with any kind of certainty that it was alien, spiritual, or even military in origin. I agree 100%. There are often clues and it requires much deliberation to discern. The phenomenon is real to a great extent. However, we must bear in mind that most of the time 
we could well be dealing with a non with an intelligence that is not human. Therefore, we must use our ability of examine every minute detail and exercise caution to protect our own sanity and spiritual progress. They do not think the same way as we do, and we must bear that in mind, no matter what the experience. I do believe that synchronicity is an event that is even beyond their control to influence, and as such, we should consider that other universal forces are at work. I wish you well upon the course of your life and stress that you must be very cautious as to what you accept or reject when it comes to your interactions with any form of strange phenomena. Fantastic. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> I agree. I love the part about it being, you know, even though there are these, let's say, non-human intelligences or human intelligence as well that are way beyond technologically advanced that we think of, that there's other forces like synchronicity is beyond them even. They're not, it's not like they're controlling it. There's a whole other overarching universal force of synchronicity that's in, interacting as well. There you have it. So I think I'll save the poll for the next intro. Let's do it. So, no, I'll save it for the next That's intro. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And just kind of get to it. We'll do the support thing. I'll start doing the support thing before we go to the break, and that'll make it easy for the supporters to skip it. And just go to the break. Anyway, guys, well, do Well, everybody's going to skip it if you oh, tell them shit. what it is. We're going to trick them? No, we shouldn't have to trick them. Support the show, guys, if you can, when you can. Check out guyamerica.ca slash support. There's a bunch of different options there, like 30 different options from weekly to monthly to yearly. Um, there's the Patreon page, there's there's the crypto options. Um, but yeah, if you can sign up for those recurring payments, those really are the, the ones that do help us kind of plan and budget yeah. and, and do things like that. We are looking to upgrade a couple of things, so it does help out. So yeah, do do check it out, guys. Um, well, there's a bunch of fixed expenses, and, there's, and there is... They're getting higher. <laughs> yeah, and we can't do this without the support. We really can't. I mean, we wouldn't be able to. I mean, we didn't plan on it coming out like this, being like this, but this is the way it is now. Um, we've grown to this point, and we want to do it like we're doing it, and we do need the support. I mean, we don't want to just Mickey Mouse it, right? That's right. And we don't want to have ads either or paywalls, that kind of thing. Um, that's right. So we do, that being said, we do have our support feed which is uh, some bonus apps for the people that do listen, uh, the people that do take time and money out of their day to support the show. Um, there's about 20 episodes in there. There's a couple more dropping there right away, so there might be 21 or 22. We did a, a Patreon show with the Tinfoil Hat guys, so that's going to go into the Black Budget feed. We did a Patreon show for with Jordan Bonaparte, so we're going to put that in the Black Budget feed. So, um, yeah, the Black Budget feed is definitely... Uh, turning up a little bit so there's probably no no better time than a present to hop on that uh support the show if you're getting a little value from it guys did you mention how um how they can get access to that like there's support it's the show any anything. donation any any one-time donation a any a month any five dollar yeah. one time yeah, I mean, you know we prefer yeah. you do a recurring donation but i mean if you can only afford five bucks one time we'll give you the feed it's like if, if you guys want to call it a paywall it's the shortest paywall in the history of paywalls so um I would say we could get away without calling it that, really, if you could just pay anything one time. And, you know, we're, we're leaving it up to the trust. It's still, we think it's still value for value model. If you think there's value of all the extra regular content we're putting out for free as well, and the extra content in that feed, it's a little bit more unusual, sometimes a little more controversial, sometimes a little more just chitty chatty with other podcasters. Um, but anything will, will get you that, which is, I think that's fair. Yeah. 
more than fair. So support the show if you're getting a little value from it, guys. You're our only source of uh, income. You're our only source of marketing. So you got to tell people, support us if you can, when you can, and you get that extra episode, those extra shows. So a little carrot there as well. I think that's about it, eh, buddy? Yep. Enjoy this phenomenal chat with Cliff High. I think you'll love it. Cliff Highback in the igloo. It's been almost two years since we had him on, and he's still forecasting the future via radical predictive linguistics. We're going to have to run over that whole process again for everybody, but welcome back to the show, Cliff. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, sure. No worries, guys. Thanks much. So much has changed, and we're moving faster than ever since we had you on. Um, I guess, you know, let's, let's, uh, there's a lot of new listeners. Uh, you know, we've probably got twice as many as we had last time you were on. So maybe we, we, if we don't, if you don't mind, can we just kind of review, uh, you know, your work and how that sort of process happens? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we want to start? Probably with, uh, go well, ahead. Then. Yeah. I think last time we talked to you was prior to the eclipse and all that. So we, we were able to go down there without any trouble. Um, right, we didn't right. get caught in an awful lot of traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're really um, pitiful that way. Yeah, but I think that's kind of as far out as we were looking um, at that time. So yeah, I guess like what's uh, what's new? Like what's big on the radar radar right now with the predictive linguistics? Uh, we've. Okay, so after like the last year and a half, we've blown into, um, well, actually, let's go back to two years ago, okay? Shortly after we talked, uh, I came out with a report that said that we would be moving into what I called sci-fi world. Up until that time, over maybe a course of uh, eight, ten years, we were in a situation where it was not determined insofar as the language coming out of my uh, aggregation process. It wasn't determined what sort of a future we would have as a, in a collective sense uh, ex- being expressed, right? Uh, could have been Mad Max world. It could have been all different kinds of things. Um, and one of the options was this idea of sci-fi world. And we're clearly moving into that now. And we've been doing it rapidly in these last two years. And the pace at, of that rapidity itself is starting to increase as we go forward. So I expect that, you know, we will do some kind of weird doubling. So there's probably going to be a corollary to Moore's law that would run something like every two, every year from now, from now on, every year will bring uh, about twice as much 
change as we've had in all the years <laughs> prior to that. <laughs> and so it'll just keep really snowballing. Um, and it's uh, the this is all part of this sci-fi world. It was noticeable in the language. A lot of the control structures uh, started to give up on the idea of um, uh, a brave new world. Or, I was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that that whole concept was um, that requires a level of control that kept slipping from their hands, and their language changed as their view of reality um, progressed along with all of us. And so now, a lot of the language from the um, upper echelons outward, or the what we used to think of as the power centers outward is being spread across a much larger, flatter plane. It's much more diffuse in terms of its impacts on us, and a lot more of the organic change within humanity is coming out uh, in basically an unstoppable and combinoric way, where I get a good idea, I tell you, you tell two of your friends, one mm. of them does it, you know, and it just starts spreading like that. And we've seen this with uh, the rise of the cryptocurrencies. So in the last year and a half, I've pretty much concentrated on the um, the tech coming out that includes the cryptocurrencies and the technology that uh, supports them, as well as some of the other technologies that are that are sort of leaking out. So it's not just the increase in technological advancement and all that. It's also that dystopian part of it where we're being, uh, you know, watched and listened to, but people are finding out about it and people are organically opening up so and you have you noticed a growth in, in your the interest in your work as well in that last year oh and sure a half? sure yeah. yeah that it's come up a, a great deal over this last year and a half uh but that visibility as we know from dealing with the big organizations has a price to pay right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know so so you self-censor one way or another just not to get a community strike against you or something like this that affects your ability to, to maintain that communication stream the alternatives are effective but it's not like the concentration in the ghetto so you have to understand that in maybe 2003 this concept started coming out um of, of ghettoization of the uh, internet, where they were hurting us into YouTube. If you did video stuff, they were hurting you into Facebook. They were hurting you into Twitter and just these very few areas that they uh, were going to try and control, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so now they can't control us. <laughs> yeah. And so anybody is free to create their own version of YouTube if they had the money, the time, and the inclination. Yeah. And, and if they and want to so, lose a bunch of money. <laughs> Uh, correct. Okay. So exactly. You can you can do these sorts of things on your own. A number of people are doing this, and we have um, the emergence of alternative uh, social media. But the media masters uh, understand the herding instinct and the uh, glue that holds the giant herds together. And they've been applying those within their software these past uh, decade or more. And so it's a difficult transition for people to just abandon YouTube and go on to some other platform. Yeah. And the, the mathematics work out for most of the people that they're censoring. Okay. So most of the, we can make a general statement that most of the people that are kicked out of a particular social media, whatever their level of viewership is um, or participation level, will be able to find an alternative to their that social media that will provide them just as many people as they had before, huh. albeit there will be a time 
uh, issue, right? It'll take people a like while a, a to ramp, find you. A ramping up time, Mike? Correct, exactly. A ramping up time, which they can di- diminish by effective use of advertising yeah. on the existing social media. Now, we also know uh, from analytics that things like Facebook, Facebook is slowly dying, okay? In one, in one level, it died very rapidly, and that was the... Um, a number of new postings of non-familial uh, uh, information uh, on a per-year basis crashed. It went down like 47 or 48 percent in a single year. And this is people that are discussing something on Facebook other than their own stuff, kind of. Correct. Yeah. Other than their own stuff, right? Okay, okay. And getting in, into a larger community that that just bombed. Oh, and, that's uh, interesting. It, when was that? Uh, that was 2016 into 2017. Oh, wow. It was That's a 12, 12 month period that was like from summer to summer, right? Right, right. And um, and they've also had a number of other metrics that have affected uh, uh, that show the the impact of their actions on the media that they're involved with at the moment, or, or their their audience. You know, their audience is not growing as fast. They're not going to dominate the world any more than they do at the moment. And in fact, they're going to now now they've reached a point where all of the big social media have ramped up as much as they can into the giant herd that is humanity. And from this point forward, they're all of their efforts are going to be devoted to keeping what they can of their diminishing pie as it continues to diminish year after year after year after year. There won't be any more large growth. Uh, they've colonized the minds that they will be able to within the attention market that is humanity. And so now they're just good. They're like legacy media. All they can do from this point forward is fight for diminishing share and trying to retain what they've got. Oh, man. So I was, that's funny, I was going to just mention the, you know, we, we were talking just briefly before we started recording about the, uh, you know, the censorship that's happening and, you, and you're, you're calling it the great purge. And I feel like after you talked about that sci-fi world and what we're being blown into here, I feel like we're on the precipice. Like we either are, are going to lose our ability and free speech and any kind of freedom like that, or it's, or it's, uh, it's going to blow up and we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to have it. Like it, it's, you're going to have it. It's going to blow up. It's not stoppable. The only only uh, they have an illusion out there that they can control it. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't worry about that. The sci fi world forecast on that particular uh, report, which I think was like January. Maybe maybe it was December of 2015 or January of uh, 2016. I mean, it was in the in that period of time. Um, I think it's been so many of them. But in any event, uh, the forecasts for that are certainly manifesting all over the place. We're having huge levels of um, uh, burst outs of democracy and a flattening of the power structures at the same time that the uh, control mechanism fellows are doing everything they can to ratchet down what they've got now because they know it'll be uh, exponentially harder to, to gain more control as we go forward. Wow, yeah, that's that's fascinating. So what are some of the things you, you think they're doing to, to ratchet down besides besides using the media? Is there any other tactics that you can see? Sure, sure, of? sure. I actually... I actually see it within the um, uh, the programming. I mean, you can see that they're now concentrating on getting as much dopamine to fire off in your brain as possible with the digital signal effects that they're creating within the software. So there's sort of an insidious 
uh, side to the um, redoing of the looks of any of the social media, right? The goal of YouTube is to keep you on YouTube. Anything they can do to keep an effect going between you and and that um, image of their, their product on your browser is good for them. And so they'll do things within the capability of the PC to cause your brain to, to uh, flush out more dopamine. And they're using every trick in the book that they can. And at some point, all of the tricks sort of, you know, wear off and people burn out on the media anyway, in spite of everything they're doing. At, so that's at one level. Now, on the other level, they're trying the idea of the, um, uh, I, you know, if you get into the deep woo, they're, they're trying the idea of... Um, the 5G, the terahertz wave uh, network is promising better cell service or something. I mean, it's supposed to do something for us, but this is the same level of electromagnetic radiation that is put out by the TSA scanners, <laughs> only, it's, only it's hugely amplified to be a broad uh, application, not a narrow uh, kind of a focus sort of thing. They want to be able to carry signals on it, which they can. They can do it very well. In fact, because of the nature of the terahertz wave, you can get a more discrete level of um, uh, frequency separation on it than you can in any of the other waves that are below it in terms of the, their own frequency. So this this is um, a good thing for frequency control and being able to shove more channels and so on. And so at one level, the, the terahertz uh, network, what they're calling the 5G network, uh, could enhance the uh, spread of democracy because everybody could, because of the level of the bandwidth and what we can do with it, uh, everybody could have six or seven YouTube channels running continuously off their phone, uh, that sort of thing, right? But uh, you got to live through the terahertz waves themselves, and curiously, it is the terahertz wave that is used to scan DNA in some of these uh, scanners. And I want to point out that when it scans the DNA, it's basically frying it. It's making it, uh, you know, no longer functional for that cell. So yeah. the the terahertz waves themselves are, are are not my friend is my way of thinking. Yeah, that's what I was. And I think they can like turn those, you know, they don't need a whole lot of modifications before you're cooking people in the streets. <laughs> right, right, right. And of course, if you're going to be carrying around a particular uh, device that you know, as a locator on that frequency, boy, well, there you go. I'm not saying that it's going to be like, um, you know, they can flip a button and have your head blow up because of the proximity to the phone. But uh, it, it, we have to examine as a species where we want to go with all of this electromagnetic radiation, or we will indeed be at a point where uh, you happen to cross a street and there's an intersection of a cell tower, a 5G uh, tower, and uh, Gwen Tower, and maybe six or eight other kinds of radiation we don't know about, and you just sort of vaporize crossing from one side to the other, and it's you know an unfortunate accident, and they'll fix it until it happens again. That kind of thing. Oh man! So how does how does the cryptocurrency fit into the sci-fi world? Is it is it fit in a, in a positive way, like everybody thinks? It's um, yeah, it's, yeah. Cryptocurrency is solid. Have a yeah, they have a single function. No, they're not solid. It's extremely volatile. It's ephemeral. It's digital. Uh, it's at the whim of uh, all the humans that are out there that are messing about with it. But it has some uh, uh, incredibly... Uh, redeeming qualities in spite of all of that. And the redeeming qualities are that it's entirely control resistant 
uh, and if it's decentralized. So there are some cryptocurrencies that I don't even think of as cryptocurrencies uh, because they're a central running off of a central database. And so you're at the whim of whoever controls that database. But others are truly decentralized and they represent this um, intrusion into our reality at a core fundamental level that we have to acknowledge is is core to our being in spite of the fact that we might not want it that way and that is money and these uh, technologies have liberated money from the control of just a few individuals and placed it in the hands of whoever should have the will and the effort to, to exercise control that is to create a, a cryptocurrency <laughs> and if you do this um, there are now we're undoubtedly going to create far too many of them, just like humans. We're going to go a little batshit crazy, and we'll we'll uh, do things inappropriately, and then we'll have to ratchet back and learn what we've done wrong, and then go forward and so on. So this is a learning process, but it is a, a proof of the sci-fi world uh, forecast actually manifesting, because you can't use any other form of currency in space-based uh, businesses. Uh, you can't transmit um, money electronically in any other in in any other format in a safe way when you're dealing with having to pay people that might be out in space for thirty or forty or uh, days or months or who knows yes. right. Correct, correct. And so in, in this uh, sci-fi world, you need a money that can move at that level of speed. Uh, that it can can be out into space and back, and it can be effective. You can manipulate it that way in terms of making your transactions um, uh, temporally um, uh, closer to need and uh, uh, the ability to fulfill that need. Because and also with the cryptocurrencies, we have this incredible thing of of the trustless nature of the system. You don't have to trust the party you're dealing with because you can trust the decentralized uh, blockchains and so on and their implementation. So I don't have to trust that you're going to live up to the um, part. You're part of the contract. We can put it into a smart contract and let uh, the computer see that you've achieved uh, fulfillment, and then it will pay you. And I would have no restriction. I'd have no ability to not pay you because of the way that the smart contract is is constructed. So, uh, and the fact that the the payment is enclosed within the contract itself in a digital form, uh, which is a cryptocurrency that once I've sent it out as an adult, I can't claw it back. I can't affect it or any of that. And so, it, it cryptocurrencies, in in my understanding of them, uh, represent a uh, a flattening of the social power structure. Uh, giving more people more power. At the same time, it's also a temporal marker for some of the stuff in my forecast in terms of the way that we're changing into this sci-fi world. And it's also an expression of the next level of technology as software eats money. So just looking at it as software eating money that is taking over the function of money the way that software has taken over the function of traffic cops because now software directs the movements through the, the traffic circles and so on. Um, or, you know, is helping to land airplanes or any of these kind of things, that once we get to that level of efficiency from the software eating money, then we're into my realm, which is software adoption rates and how fast it goes and, and the quality of the software and so on. And we can then start making actual predictions, not merely forecasts. Huh. So how has the power structure allowed this, this to get away from it then? I mean, it's similar to what you're talking about with the 
the decentralization of YouTube and platform, platforms like that, similar that you just can't stop it? Correct. You can't. It's the same kind of thing that led to uh, the formation of it's it's the humanity expressing itself. Okay, it's consciousness, and at certain pivotal points in history, people discover that they have real power. So back in the uh, back in the day, as they say, and we're talking back in the 1780s, uh, there was a little tiff going on that uh, people called the French Revolution. And uh, it actually began as a result of the attempt by the power structure to impose too much control on individuals. And as a result of that, the individuals, and they wanted them to sit there and produce goods in their industrial revolution hour after hour after hour. And so the French people in the revolution uh, stage there, as they were seizing the um, uh, mechanisms of control, invented this thing that couldn't be stopped. And it was called sabotage. Now, sabotage is a word that means shoe. <laughs> Sabo is this wooden shoe they used to wear, right? Very uncomfortable, hateful kind of a thing to have to wear. But if you've got no effective alternative and you don't have a society rich enough to be able to afford to slaughter animals for their skin to make boots and stuff, then you do with wood. But it turned out that those wooden shoes, the sabos, were quite magnificent for throwing into the crude uh, mechanisms of the day that powered the Industrial Revolution. And the, sh the shoes would get caught in the giant conveyor belts and stuff, and the whole thing would go to hell very rapidly. And so that's kind of what we have here, is the uh, is the spontaneous eruption of the uh, human spirit when faced with these um, uh, dictatorial levels or, you know, uh, unfairness. That's really what it comes down to is the unfairness at a, at a level on an individual human. And it motivates people. And so they go on out and they, and they form collectives. And now at the same time, we've got magnificent software programming tools where we've got big libraries of routines that have been security tested and all of these kind of things so that you can just put them all together as as widgets, so to speak, even even at the level of crafting some very difficult back end um, uh, kind of software. So YouTube as a, you know, as a software project is quite large. It's a lot of Python code. Uh, but it's and it's very sophisticated for what it does, but it it's not um, uh, it doesn't actually represent a huge barrier to entry. It's easily replicated with current software technology and tools, so it's not going to last that long as any uh, under the current level of um, uh, administrative uh, heavy handedness, because all they're doing is motivating more and more people to seek alternatives, and there's a number of them out there. And it's not just YouTube, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's all of these. Yeah, and, and cable and cable and the the uh, you know how that's so rigged and everything's scripted that people just aren't falling for that anymore, I don't think. So Darren, do you do you have any questions at all about about all this? Well, the collective thing is interesting because I think that's what's happening on a lot of fronts, like um, I mean, you're watching a, a collective of podcasts right now slowly start to take over the radio. Like, I mean, most of the people I talk to now aren't listening to the to the radio. You know what I mean? And that's it's starting to creep in. And like five years, we talked about how you'd see the day. And now, you know, already you can see it starting to happen where people would or would rather. And I mean, some of them are still doing serious and stuff like that, but I mean, definitely the terrestrial radio is, is, is just falling apart from all these little collectives of people in their basements. I think once people realize you can learn about anything you absolutely want to learn 
for free on demand. It's, it's just, you can't, you know, you can't, isn't it, isn't it marvelous? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like anything I want to know about, I can just go listen to a podcast about it. It's it, for free. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's truly, uh, truly incredible. I've, we've moved recently. I'm having to unpack books and stuff and I'm looking at these, uh, these books, which I, uh, you know, have, have gotten me where I'm at and, and I treasure, but at the same time, there's so much of, um, they're so last millennium, you know, they're heavy, they're bulky. It's, it's very good storage. Paper is an incredible storage. It can keep an idea going for tens of thousands of years, <laughs> but you get a lot of that stuff together and that stuff is pretty damn heavy and it can be easily replaced with my, with my telephone. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, I, truly it's like, I just don't know what to do with a lot of the books. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So can we back up a couple steps too, for people sure. that, uh, that aren't familiar with the process of the predictive linguistics, like how you sure, mine, sure. how you mine, yeah, quick. just just a little bit of how you how you mine all this information and 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 make it uh, comprehensible. Yeah, there's uh, so there's several discrete processes in it. Uh, what I do is basically called web scraping, where I've got a bot that that reads a web page and hunts for specific uh, parameters around words, and then then scoops them off and throws them into a database. And we do this um, hundreds of millions of times, discard a lot, discard most. And then the rest of it is run through this thing that I called the emotional reduction engine. And, <laughs> and it, it's actually what it does is it looks for words that have um, uh, predefined uh, emotional uh, numeric characteristics, and it does it in a numeric fashion. So it's inherently limited because it's based on this particular algorithm and dealing with everything is uh, a numeric value and sums based around these emotions. However, it has turned out to be reasonably prescient over the years and has provided at least, a, I think last time I looked, it was like 52% that I could validate of the uh, forecasts, although sometimes the timing is not exact. Um, uh, so, um, and it, it does it based on a linguistic algorithm that looks at the context and and the words that are being said within that context. And so, this can easily be described as the basically the idea is that we've all had this. If you're a gardener, you've had every single possible gardening conversation you could ever have, even if you've only been talking gardens for about a year. And that basically you'll be talking about that same conversation over and over and over again. And I look for um, a psychic impression, a leak that comes out of you in the, your gardening conversation where you choose to use a word that is atypical to that conversa conversation and you attempt to put it in place and force it. So I'm, it's sort of as though I'm looking for the awkward phrase. And frequently this is something that uh, my uh, premise is that everybody is psychic and that it, that uh, most people don't acknowledge this and that it leaks out in their writing through the choice of words that they use around ordinary conversations. So I have models of ordinary conversations and I look for the deviations that occur there over time. Sort of makes sense? Yeah. 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 And I think that uh, I was, I was coming back to remembering our last episode a little bit and how I was unsure if whether that was a, a conscious or subconscious thing like so i guess what you're saying is it's it's picking up this subconscious leakage which Correct. you know we, we talked about predicting emotional 
emotional uh, reaction to predicting synchronicities on a couple episodes. And it kind of reminds me of that, that, you know, synchronicity is actually a, 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 a pre-cog emotional event. Correct. And humans, and, and humans are not, um, or humans are designed as pattern matching creatures. And most of our life is actually spent, most of our brain life at the uh, non-conscious level is, is spent predicting the future. So as a driver, as you're driving, you're actually trying to predict what other cars and stuff are doing around you, unless you're sitting there chatting on a cell phone and you're going to cause a wreck. But um, mostly when we're engaged, when our minds are involved, we're trying to predict the outcome. If you're a gamer, you're trying to predict the outcome of doing these particular moves with your hands in order to get the character to do that and the other people involved and so on and so you're constantly trying to predict the future and you don't even think about it that way but you're trying to predict the future very 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 near term uh, so as a gamer milliseconds count uh, and so the ability to understand how the, how humans work with time in the future helps gamers and sports guys and all that kind of thing but but fundamentally we all do it constantly and so what I'm doing is looking at it and gathering huge amounts of it and then sifting through it, categorizing it into context and subjects. And then I write reports about it. Oh, okay. So, um, and I think, is it cryptocurrencies have been where you're, you've proven to get the most um, yeah. accuracy? Correct. And, and the reason is very easily understood. They're, the cryptocurrency world is entirely brand new. And the people involved in that world are inventing new words all the time. And these new words, therefore, are not polluted by past context or contextual emotional attachment based on uh, our own or other people's reported history uh, with those words. Oh, and so, so we have brand new words that I can assign a clean emotional context to. And then when we see it change over time, I can adjust that context as, it's, as we're going forward. And it stays relatively accurate with the emotional intent of these new words that they're inventing. Oh, that's interesting. So do we have a, do we have a say in our future then? Like how much control do you think we have over, you know, you know, of our future through intention and, you know, positive thinking or just being, just being aware of, uh, okay, of the present? So, um, yeah. So here's the thing. We, we never live in the future and we never live in the past. All humans always and only live in what I call the ever present now. Yeah. And so you have an incredible amount of control over the ever-present now if you put your mind into the ever-present now. But if you're constantly <laughs> thinking about the past, which you cannot change, or you're constantly anxious about the future, which to some degree you can change, but which is almost unknowable until it actually slaps you. And so the, the risk-reward level is very low. But if you're in these two states, then you're missing out on the ever-present now where most of your power lies. And so in my concept of how a universe works, we have um, energetic bodies that extend out from us. And this is relatively proven by science if you ever wanted to get into it, right? Yep, yep. Okay, so you got these energetic bodies. If you go out far enough, there's this body that we could describe as being the etheric body. And that's the body that is a representation that's closest to our individual consciousness, where it merges with all other consciousness. That's really where the 
uh, karmic load that we carry individually is housed. And that's where it first impacts our body. And as that etheric body ages, so to speak, the karmic impact it comes closer and closer and closer to our denser material bodies, this condensate of matter that we're actually in. And so you can actually, if you have a finely tuned mind enough, you could intercept those things that are within your karma as they're working their way through your various energetic bodies. And perhaps if you had the willpower and the skill, you could do something to divert or change or, or interact with your karma in a different way. But all of us as humanity are expressing a common collective karma that also joins as all of our energetic bodies are joined across all of the universe. That level of future is what they see with things like um, remote viewing. That's what um, shaman have always seen. That's what the uh, the people that do prediction stuff with uh, like tarot cards and things. That's that's the future that they're seeing. This collective joining future kind of a stuff. Even dream precog too, probably? Correct. Correct. All of these leaks, okay, because we're all constantly psychic. We're energetic, vibrating um, body antenna that are reacting to all of the frequencies around us the universe provides, as well as all the stuff that our batshit military is pumping out. But that's another another issue. But in any event, we react to all of these things. And, and so that leaks into our dreams, leaks into casual daydreaming. You know, uh, it's constantly... Uh, hitting us and our brains are designed to do pattern matching and seek for active patterns that are predictive to keep us alive it's called you know it's part of the survival uh, complex of behaviors and so we get real good at it and the older you are the the better you get at it just because you've seen a lot of things and you've internalized them all and so on but uh, getting back to the uh, the ability to change your your immediate now that's where all of your power lies and you can change your future Future by changing the immediate now. So in that sense, um, the, um, the appropriate uh, consideration of one's self and what that self is doing uh, will yield results by changing your future. Now, what, I'm, what I mean to say about that is it's sort of like positive thinking. Yeah, I was it's just not, thinking that, yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's not like um, law of attraction kind of stuff, okay? Because law of attraction kind of stuff probably, mostly, in my opinion, backfires. And the reason it backfires is because what you're actually doing is with this law of attraction is you're not extending your mind out, your your conscious thought out beyond your own etheric body. Thus, what you're drawing into you is some aspect of karma that is uh, attached out there waiting for you or, or in the process, process of maturing or you maturing into it. And so in that sense, it's sort of as though you're drawing it in ahead of, of um, circumstantials, uh, circumstantial need. And frequently you'll find that it works. You get these big law of attraction pops and then everything goes all to hell again. Well, it's because you brought in a chunk of karma to get that pot, what you thought of as positive. But of course, as you grabbed it mentally and drug it forward, you also drug all that negative karma with it, which you were not prepared to deal with. Huh. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. How, but how do you distinguish the difference between positive thinking and law of attraction? Okay, positive thinking is not attempting to 
manipulate the environment around a person. For a specific thing, kind of? For anything. No, no, you're not attempting to manipulate the environment around the person. You're attempting to manipulate the person and have it emanate outward. Okay. 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 So in positive thinking, it is a situation of... Um, you know, uh, I can't think of the Frenchman's name at the moment who came up with it, but every day in every way I get better and better. And I think it was like Leclerc or something. And that kind of positive thinking as a mantra and so on wears off real quickly because it doesn't engage the mind. But if you use something like Vipassana meditation, which is householder's meditation, comes from Southeast uh, Asia, then you're constantly working on making yourself better. And in that process, you will discover that you're actively changing your interaction with that karma that's coming in from those uh, etheric layers, which, because those are the boundary layers between yourself and the greater consciousness and universe, you're actively changing what's coming towards you in a future way. But you've got to do it with no attachment. Okay, so the idea of law of, att- of attraction is attachment. It's a, it's an antithesis of what the uh, the the physics that the the Taoists and these kind of and yogis had worked out. It's it's the opposite of that because you don't want to attach your something to yourself to some uh, uh, theoretic goal from the law of attraction because you are in in essence binding yourself to all of the karma that's associated with it with that attachment. So you'll notice in things like vipassana and Zen, the idea is well, it's stated in this this simple. Um, a little, not even a parable, it's just a statement here. Uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, do dishes, make rice, cook bread. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on. And it's all done without attachment. So it's it's that's what is freeing. There is the, um, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road here. That you you literally have to be like a tire and spin the road out from underneath you with no attachment, leading, leaving those things that are past as past because you cannot affect them. Only deal with yourself because you can't affect your future. But you discover that you change your future by cha- by working on changing yourself. You don't even have to be successful. All you have to do is work on it, and you'll discover that there's benefits coming in, even if that particular aspect that you wanted to get at uh, in that particular part of the ever-present now has yet to yield to those changes you would see in yourself. So by that, I'm saying, uh, as a smoker, ex-smoker, I know that just the mere fact that you are attempting to quit changes you, even if you're unsuccessful in quitting in that particular episode. And then all you have to do is to, you know, get knocked down eight times, get up nine. And you yeah. win. Yeah, that's why like letting go is such an important principle. I think it really is true that if you're not, you know, you have to do that to not attach yourself to all this. But that's a that's a fascinating explanation. Like probably the one of the most interesting explanations of karma and positive thinking and law of attraction. I mean, it really kind of makes makes deep sense to me. So that must go both ways with negative. Yeah, there's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it seems you know, you like, find, you know, what is it? If you've got anger, you're holding a hot coal. Who's being harmed? Yeah, that's right. And it seems like that's what most of the, you know, at least the Western world these days seems to be caught up in in their day to day. Like, I mean, just trying to get people to, to, you know, some people are okay, but you know, it seems like these days it's like four out of five people that I'm dealing with through it today just fucking don't have anything positive to say. 
Well, then, okay, all right. And then you get into the weird things like myself where I would say to you, that's fine, but why are you attached to that? Why do you give a shit? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Not why are you attached to them, but why are you attached to their attitude? See, if you can... You see, if you get to the point where uh, you've got the fuck you attitude, right? It's like, um, you know, hey, fuck you. It doesn't matter if you got money or not. You have life, universe provides, and all you have to do is have integrity and auth- and then you get authenticity. All of it grows from all you have to do is to, to attempt the change in yourself. And so and every time you come up to it, you realize that, oh, look, I'm attached to this. I can make my life easier. I can make my body relax by giving up that attachment that was creating this tension. It's, it's easy to get attached to it because it, it affects you. Like the negativity will affect you if you're not mindful of it. And then you focus on it and right. then you get more yeah. negativity. Yeah. Okay. And you, you can watch this. All right. So perform an experiment. Uh, say that you worked in an office and you go on in on a Monday morning and you see that you have to interact with um, maybe as many as, uh, say, 30 or 40 people before you can get to your desk or something along those lines. But just some number of people before you settle into your actual work. Well, you can actually say, yeah, it's a depressing place around here. But as you go on in, you can do it in a way that is not flattery and is not insincere. And you'll see an incredible positive effect by simply complimenting people on what they are bringing to the situation (laughs) and the way in which they make your day better. And you will see this sort of thing spread through the fucking office. Just as just as someone comes on in and they on a Monday and they look at that secretary and they say, Hazel, you know, man, did you have a hard weekend or what? You look like, you know, the cat drug you in. Well, Hazel's not going to be feeling good, right? And, and, you know, uh, another way to look at it might have been to say that, you know, and it turns out, the, you know, that Hazel's got is ill or whatever. Well, you can compliment Hazel on the intestinal fortitude of actually making it in and doing productive work in spite of being ill and making everybody else in the office ill. That's so <laughs> you know, hard to it's so hard to quantify and explain that to people, though, that the more positive reinforcement, that the more positive things will happen. And and the, and the more productive people will be like there's a whole, you know, a whole domino effect that you that you just explained but it's really hard to explain to somebody that wants evidence of that you know i mean but you have to do that yeah you got to demonstrate it yeah 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 Yeah. okay i'm gonna try that next monday you're gonna try it (laughs) yeah there you go and that should work with anything then like can i do that with my bank account too uh okay so there is something that you're talking about your relationship with money okay uh not your bank account you don't really care i don't yeah okay so now what you have to decide is okay how am i attached to money how is it degrading my life and how am i the human involved in this in control of that relationship and so it's like the way that i gave up smoking okay uh, I decided at some point that the, the reason I was continuing the, the habit of smoking cigarettes as well as the addiction had less to do with the addiction part than it did with the mental habit. And so I decided that what I was going to do was to raise my consciousness or, or raise it into my consciousness such that no cigarette I ever smoked could escape that consciousness. So I made a pledge to myself and I, I got a little thing that was called a three by five card. I don't even know if they make them, but it's a little uh, uh, card of uh, cardboard kind of stock. 
and it has white, it's white, it has little lines on it. And I got a little stubby pencil and a rubber band. And I put these around, put the rubber band and the pencil uh, and the card around the pack of cigarettes. And then I just made the simple vow of never having a single smoke that I didn't first write down the date, the time, and, and the why I felt I needed to smoke that. And then I was then I was okay to do it. it was, I was allowed, allowing myself to do it thereafter, right? And because what I'd done was to, to jump over the habitual response of the nicotine addiction triggering mm-hmm. thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I took, took control of my thoughts. You can do the same thing with money. You can take that very same approach, and you could probably write an app to do it. That uh, every time before you spent money, you thought about the conscious uh, or about the drivers that were making you think about spending in a particular way and then note the emotions on it. And see, so this when I did this on the little card, a lot of the things were I was describing that caused that were the triggers for this were either automatic, like, oh, you got to get up and have a cup of coffee and a cigarette. Boom. It all happens at once. Or I discovered the vast majority of them after these first couple of automatic things were all related to emotional states. And then I started examining that and so on. And you can find that you can alter your relationship by just being conscious, mindful of your emotional response. How long does that take? Like three weeks? Uh, no habit is going to go well. Okay. Your, your relationship with money is extremely core. How old are you? How long have you been spending money? You know, how deeply years. ingrained? I'm sorry. I've been spending money for like 30 years. And you're 37. Okay. Well, you're, yeah. then you're going to, you're going to have a very deep relationship there, but also bear in mind that the way you've been spending for a majority of those 30 years has been unconsciously driven by the advertising, by the other prompts that are around you. So elevating it into consciousness, it's not a one for one kind of a thing. You don't have to do this for 30 years to break it. Right. And it's an accelerating kind of thing because each time you are successful in writing down the prompts that made you spend, how you felt about it, the date and the time and so on. Each time you are successful in doing that, the next time becomes that much easier. And your focus on that becomes that much finer as you go forward. So if you go back and review your notes every week, you'll you'll see that your thinking is actually changing just in what you notice about your spending habits. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Does it help to have... Um goals on the horizon and think of things you better have attachment that's attachment okay okay Okay. the (laughs) idea here is to examine at its core your attachment to money until you and if you do that then you will get to the point where you will event and I, i say eventually but i don't really mean that at some point in the process you will discover that your attachment is fading your understanding of money has changed and you have changed in your relationship with with money and spending and so the attachment part is really what you're after if you concentrate on any of the other stuff it's a goal so and you you, true you have a goal of of examining the attachment but you don't necessarily have a goal of even losing the attachment you just want to be aware of it and that very much very awareness will change it for you Yep, that's why mindfulness is so important. It, it all comes it, back it, to mindfulness. To everything, it really does. Right? It's really crazy. To everything. Right. I mean, it, it even s- sneaks in on diet and things like that. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, Diet is so complex, though. And so many people think that, uh, for instance, that um, the foods that are being offered are the things that we, you know, that humans really should eat. And and it's becoming apparent that there was a a very large change in humanity's diet that took place after the last ice age. So about 12 to 13,000 years ago, in the process of that ice age, uh, all of the very large critters that we'd been eating uh, basically died off and we had to convert over to uh, a more of a plant-based diet. And uh, and there's a whole lot that we have yet to reconcile. And if you just looked at it as, as an evolutionary process, it's only been 12,000 years since, you know, we used to dine every night on, um, Meat and uh, you know, mastodon, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so diet is just uh, diet. You can yes, you can use the conscious process on the diet, but it's not as simplistic, so to speak, as the conscious process on even smoking or spending. Uh, the relationship to diet is actually, um, uh, you know, I didn't have to if if I stop smoking, I wasn't going to die, right? If you stop spending, you're not necessarily going to die, <laughs> but if you stop eating, well, it's probably going to be pretty certain you will. And so you got to be careful about it and also altering your diet such that you you get into um, uh, a self-harming situation unknowingly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So what are some of the other things? Uh, do you have any other questions right now, Darren? Or Well, um, there's a ton of people in the chats that are pushing for cryptos. They were talking about how accurate your Bitcoins were and how good you were for 18 months out. And they're, they're wondering if, the, if you've got any uh, rocks in your pocket for, for 18 months from now or 12 months from now. We're at, we're at an inflection point, and it makes it really difficult for me to um, be as forthcoming as I might like because the... Uh, inflection point uh, is not yet settled out, so to speak, right? So it's kind of as though um, uh, we're looking into the the witch's pot and there's steam coming in and we can all sort of see a hazy scene that's shaping up in there. And I'm just reluctant to be too descriptive at the moment because I've been here in the past. But it does appear as though the cryptocurrency market, which is very small, uh, has been hit by a major manipulation episode uh, using the um, uh, the legacy of the Mt. Gox fiasco of 2013. There were a lot of Bitcoins involved. Japanese court has let this one guy spend them to support some of the needs of the um, uh, the defendants in the case. And their spending was less than gentle. And it, it begs the question of whether it was deliberate, whether it was part of a deliberate attack or so on. And we can't say at the moment uh, whether or not there's a level of um, a conscious uh, intent in how certain events are actually playing out in crypto world at that level. And so I'm not going to be as um, uh, largely out there with the Bitcoin predictions until we get through this particular time, which may there's some indications that seem to go for the idea that at the uh, mid-April or so forth, we'll see the resolution of this and we'll be back on. Um, other than that, crypto is really healthy. There's more people coming into it uh, all the time, and the growth levels are going to be quite staggering over the remainder of this year. And the, block, January, and the blockchain is solid? 
as well. Yeah, blockchain is really cool technology, but you've got to be careful, guys. I mean, you see all the time about people proposing to do X, Y, and Z with the blockchain. And it's like a lot of these guys don't understand what the blockchain is. Blockchain is just a really stupid database and sometimes very slow database. The thing it has going for it is that it it's a consensus algorithm. It produces consensus algorithm and it's not subjected to uh, single party control, what they call corruptibility or censorship. You, you just can't do that with the blockchain because all the computers have to agree on it. And we have a vested interest in that agreement that we call money now. And so uh, because we're altering our own relationship with money as humanity and we're we're allowing cryptocurrencies to develop as money or we can't stop it. They're just a force of nature at this stage. <laughs> then then we're going to we're in that process of a transition. And so. um but the blockchain itself is solid. You can't hack it. Uh, you can hack individual or you corrupt different parts of it. You got to bear in mind that um, there's always problems and bugs with code. So you got to be just real careful about this stuff. Right on. Darren, do you have any more questions from, from yourself or those guys before well, I jump into some of my own? Spitting out quite a bit. People are wondering if you have any thoughts on the, the Trump North Korea situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was somewhat, um, uh, aware of, uh, certain, certain aspects of that. And the thing about North Korea is that, um, in my, um, best, or in my examination of, of what's been presented about it and my assessment of it, it was a case of someone who'd read the art of war and was practicing that with the intent of gaining concessions and that there was never really an intent on the part of the North Koreans to ever really go to war. Uh, and it's curious that now uh, the um, I find it curious relative to my sci-fi world forecast that we're now getting into a situation where North Korea is reunifying. But I knew it was all over insofar as their bluster and the, the, the march to war language. I knew it was all over when we had a joint Korean team at the Olympics. I mean, that was the, the signal that they used with the Germans. The unification was on its way. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so it's, a, it's on its way. We're going to get, you know, a unified Korea. That's going to be scary, guys. Uh, you have to understand that the um, North Koreans will be a burden for a brief period on the South Korean economy. But thereafter will be um, uh, uh, yet another episode of huge bursting out as these people um, are allowed to express themselves in, in our modern society. So Korea is going to come out and kick ass as a unified country here in a very short period of time. <laughs> so that sounds like a Nobel Peace Prize. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Huh. So there's but a you know, but you know, it's it's a prize from a guy who made all of his money killing people. That's you know, right. The inventor, inventor of dynamite or in, in munitions, you know. So go ahead. Aaron. We we got another pop in from the chats before we get into Graham's uh, little corner here um, about just to go back to diet from a second. Uh, people were wondering if you had any thoughts on what we might be eating fifty years from now. Yeah, there's um, the, the potential exists that we can get into replicators, okay? Because everything is energy, 
uh, it's possible if you knew the template you, and the, had the ability to alter a crude form of energy, such as electricity, you could make that energy um, a neurobiologic energy. You could make it into uh, an energy that would be at a closer level to the energy level of the universe, and then you could extract it back through a template and create food that way. So <clears throat> if things in sci-fi world keep on, We'll be eating food that's customized for our individual uh, phenotype and then for our individual body types within that phenotype and then for our individual body within that body type. And uh, in that sense, uh, you would certainly have the ability to go out and, you know, uh, make your diet 100 percent donuts. <clears throat> but you're going to find that the donuts would be composed of those things that you'd end up needing to keep yourself going, like, you know, the proteins, et cetera, et cetera. So it wouldn't necessarily be as harmful to you as having a diet of 100% donuts right now. And at some point, you'd probably get tired of the of the replicator taste and feel of the donuts <clears throat> because you're not really getting it as a carbohydrate rush. You're getting it as, you know, the proteins and fats that you, you need in the um, – in the meantime, so uh, that's really the indication that, or, or where the food is is indicated to be going relative to the real woo woo part, the space goat farts part of our uh, alter reports. Uh, in between here and there, we're going to have all of those situations as we lumber along. So uh, a lot of the things that are, that are of concern now is whether or not we'll be growing any food crops uh, outside of enclosures. Um, in, say, even 10 years, both because of the Ice Age uh, and because of the overarching effect that creates the Ice Age, which is more of the energy coming around the sun since the sun contracts a bit during these periods of time in its corona. And uh, if we're going to get a major level of this kind of contraction stuff, then we may find that in order to, to effectively grow food crops, you'll have to be growing them under glass. And then the geoengineering, I was going to ask you about that because is that is that going to also affect that? I mean, one of my pet little topics here on the show is is, is geoengineering because to me it's just the it's the ridiculous notion that we can that we have any kind of prediction over how that's going to affect our climate through the sun and and what else is doing in our atmosphere. So is there is is anything on that popped up for you in the last little while? Because I feel like there's a we're also at a, p a passing point on that where they're starting to come out and say, this is what they want to do. This is what they plan on doing. And then there's all the other people that say, well, yeah, they've, there's evidence that they've been doing it for, for decades. Right. Right. And indeed it'll be a slow leak that they've been doing it for decades in, in transitioning into sci-fi world. There's a bunch of, um, uh, I guess you'd have to say assumptions or layered thought involved. If we get to the point here where we bust out and we have planetary democracy via technology, then at some level we're still going to have um, some probably uh, holdover from legacy, but we'll still have some level of global consensus um, activities. And the geoengineering may indeed be one. They may try and sell it and may be able to successfully sell it as a necessary thing to keep Earth going. And at some point, we will actually reach a, a point where that will become true. And it'll become true in a rather nasty, self-harming sort of way. So as, they, uh, as there's giant levels of uh, geoengineering, we poison more forest with... Um, 
aluminum, the forests die, we end up with giant forest fires and all of the resulting uh, ecological damage and further pollution of the, of the atmosphere. And so we get to this sort of um, uh, self-feeding cycle with it where we need it actually at that stage to be able to keep going. Now, they may come out and say that it's necessary that we do the geoengineering in order to uh, preserve our ability to grow food crops equatorially as we go into the uh, Ice Age. And if they can get enough people to believe that that's the scientific uh, realistic view, then we'll probably continue to head that way. It's it's sort of a... um, not a side effect. It's just one of those uh, um, undeserved, uh, well, I can't, shouldn't say that, but uh, unwanted uh, components of a very uh, technologically rich and dense uh, future that we've got, uh, that we're heading into. We can probably come out on the other side and get rid of the effects of the um, geoengineering uh, as we get closer and closer to understanding the nature of energy and how to manipulate it. Yeah, we're going to have so, to cycle through the bad the bad stuff and before we can learn to improve it. Yeah, that right. kind of makes and sense also, to let's, me. Yeah. Let's acknowledge something else, okay? The fear, the attachment to fear about geoengineering, while um, the fear is realistic, the attachment needs to be understood in terms of a... Um, uh, outrage versus true hazard kind of an understanding, okay? We're outraged over it, but our true hazards that we face are far more deadly and are far more hidden. So there's far more deadly potential for uh, global catastrophe in the the thousands of nuke plants we've got than all of the geoengineering for that's already been accomplished and perhaps for the next 20 plus years. If we get to a situation, for instance, they may be able to come on out and say that, well, we can't stop the geoengineering because it's the only thing from keeping all these thousands of new plants from going critical as we're hit by all of this uh, cosmic ray activity that's now slipping around the sun. And that at some levels that does actually make sense. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Stopping a, a Carrington event through geoengineering. Oh, not a Carrington event. That, that wasn't what I was. Yeah, that no, wasn't but, what I was but, concerned about. Okay, I was concerned about the actual um, uh, uh, supercritical uh, component of the uh, nuclear power plants as we have them constructed. So all of our nuke plants are simply uh, we bring together all kinds of uh, intensely radiative material and we try and shield it from ourselves and we try and shield it with lead, steel, water, and cement all of which are incredibly vulnerable to cosmic rays. And if you get enough cosmic rays coming on in, um, you could, in even a short period of time, because the amount of energy they pack in a plasma, in a nuke reactor, they could, would be trapped and that energy would join the reaction. And these things would go hypercritical in a very short period of time. Right. So, uh, and you mentioned in there, you mentioned something about slipping into another ice age there. And see, in that sense, yeah, in that sense, the ice we're in the ice age now. It happens every 425 years. It lasts for about 125 years. It has to do with the alignment of, um, uh, or the, uh, uh, they'll say alignment, but it's the proximity of the large gas giants and the other outer planets on our side of the uh, sun within our particular spiral orbit behind the sun. So if you look at it from a heliocentric point of view, we've got Jupiter and Saturn, both of uh, those large planets are on our side of the sun. 
and affect our orbit for the next 125 years. They lengthen our orbit by about 3%, I believe, is the is the uh, thinking over that period of time. And in so doing, it alters our relationship to the sun and induces these many ice ages. If you take this particular math and go back and look, you'll find that there's all these historic things like the Maunder Minimum, which was a measurement of an actual of the actual ice age. But you can actually see these great uh, movements of people and uh, our social order and the civilization occurs with surprising regularity tied into these many ice ages. Oh, that's really interesting. That so the medieval warming period would probably fall into there at some point as well. Uh, and then, correct, so correct. where where are we at right now? Then in that cycle, uh, we're about twenty five years into it. So it about another hundred. I'm sorry, N- another hundred. Sorry, it keeps going for another hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Does it keep getting colder, or do we like level off here, or what no, the fuck? We, we will level. We will level off. Like now? Um, <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna level off in about. Um, with the process of leveling off won't be even started until about uh, twenty forty one. Okay, and then Whoa. we just plateau. Then we just plateau for a while. And then gradually on the other side, we get the warming. What a lot of, if you go and look at the, um, a lot of the data that they uh, proffered as proof of climate change, first by also proffering it as proof of global warming, they were screaming about carbon dioxide. And if you go and actually look at carbon dioxide and its relationship to the planet and the atmosphere and the oceans, you find that carbon dioxide is always a trailing indicator for ice ages. It always peaks just at these huge levels just before we go into an ice age. And it never, in all of our our history of Earth, has it ever gone from one of those peaks and turned us into Venus or any of these other uh, horror stories that they've, they've offered. And so they've been pointing at carbon dioxide as though it was a leading indicator when it's a trailing indicator. So by the time we get to a carbon dioxide peak, we're already into the ice age that flushes the carbon dioxide out of the air by getting it involved in the ocean. And it leads to all these other complex chemical processes that store energy in the oceans as we go into the ice age conditions. And then the land starts really cooling down. The oceans cool down in some areas, but heat up in others. And off we go. And we're, we're well into it now, about 25 years into it. Right on. Very interesting. So I do, I do have a question from from Jerry, a friend of ours. He he says, "Do you really have that software, or are you just psychic?" <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I I've got software. I, I program this shit, dude. <laughs> uh, so, no, and it's um it's fun. You know, I mean, you got to understand that I came up in a particular kind of a weird way because when I got into computers, uh, there were no real. Um, limits that were understood at the time as to what we might, what the engineers might be able to do in terms of accomplishing stuff with chips. And so I was actually initially thinking, oh, well, I can get to the point where I can write software um, that would be like artificial intelligence. And, uh, you know, in the sense would have consciousness. And so I was very deluded at that stage because you can't because you can't get any of that kind of stuff out of out of the software in the digital environment. Uh, but I didn't know computers until I started studying them and, and doing things with them. So uh, and that led, one thing led to the other and so on. And now I'm at the point where it's like uh, I like Python as a programming language. Now it's very complete. There's all these great amounts of tools. And I'm shocked at how easy it would be to replicate uh, what took me several years 
of writing C code, Perl, all these other scripting languages, and uh, Prolog and SQL to accomplish. Now you could do it all within a Python shell using the Python um, uh, natural language processing, the web scraping, uh, data mining tools that are built right into the language. And, you know, it was laborious for me to have to craft all that code. So if I'd only waited this long, I could do it probably in a couple of months. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Jerry would understand all that. It's just Greek to me, but he's a programmer as well. And he's also got a great little little show called Nox Mente, where they have people on talking about their dreams and precog dreams and all kinds of fascinating parts of the dream. So, yeah, he's uh, he would understand what you're talking about. So yeah, uh, what's next, Darren? Do you want to talk about? It? I I do. I did want to. I talked about geoengineering, and that was kind of my thing. And I thought you might want to ask about your your little subject. My little subject, because yeah, I mean, it's all part of the Which control one? mechanism. My vaccines. The, yeah, the vaccines. Like, I mean, well, how do we know that Cliff isn't pro-vaccine? Well, it doesn't matter if he is. I mean, no, no, it doesn't matter. But I was, I was, <laughs> I was born into the vaccine factory. Okay, <laughs> I was, I was a military brat, and oh, so. Oh, boy. Oh. Okay, right. See, and so here's the thing: as a military brat, you have no, uh, you have no claim to your body. Okay, as a as a child of a military officer, uh, you know, he was in a situation where he couldn't do anything to upset the apple cart, and so the idea of refusing to accept any of this stuff was uh, would never have occurred to any of us at the time. You know, yeah. I mean, I we we grew up in that uniform world of you know the leave it to Beaver kind of a thing, and but see, here's my situation. I was a I was a free range kid, because of the circumstances of my my birth. I was uh, uh, born here in Washington State, but then I ended up going to Alaska before I was one year old, and I missed all of these vaccines because of the nature of the military in Alaska in those early years. This is before Alaska was a state. And so, as I say, I was a free range kid, didn't have diseases. You know, I, I participated in uh, that is to say, I rode in a sled, uh, but I participated in huge giant elk hunts or, or caribou hunts with uh, tribal people because of my dad and all of this kind of stuff. We camped in teepees, uh, you know, lived out in the wild in the in the summer. It was a great life. And then I got back to uh, the lower 48. And we were uh, stuck in the South, and they were going to ship us off to Europe. And in one probably three-month period of time, when I was like eight and a half, they caught me up on all of the vaccines oh. and gave me oh. all of these shots. And then also gave me all the shots to go to Europe. Okay, and I've been ill ever since that day. No way. Yeah, Did I'm not hear? lying. I'm not bullshitting. Yeah, I believe I have you, been, I've been ill ever since that day. And it has taken me some 30 or 40 years to understand the nature of why my personality changed and why my brother and I suffered so much from that period uh, onward. Um, when he would was that less, have been? I'm sorry? When would that? That was, that was back when they were still filling them full of thimerosal probably too. No, it was it was after that. Uh, would have been uh, it was prior to the um, uh, tumult of the early '60s. So we we got to Europe shortly, uh, well, early enough to be involved in the in the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, from a European perspective. So uh, you know we would have gotten the shots in. Uh, 61, maybe 60, 60 or 61. Oh yeah. I'm sure those would have had mercury in them still then. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, certainly. Yeah. No, at that level. Yeah. 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 Even I would today, there was that, but I don't think, yeah. it, I don't think it was as, uh, as 
refined as thimerosal. No. Beyond that, beyond that, it was just the huge load. Okay, so here's the thing about vaccines. All right, um, vaccines affect your gut. Okay, they your gut is where eighty percent of the serotonin that keeps your mental uh, uh, processes going is created, and you don't create it. You have no organ in your gut that creates uh, any of this serotonin, and serotonin is but one of hundreds of um, necessary brain and body hormones that and other chemicals that are produced within your gut by your biome which is to say your gut bacteria and so uh vaccines especially those that are containing uh really nasty levels of preservatives are essentially super doses of antibiotic and they destroy and kill your gut bacteria and without your gut bacteria being healthy your biome being healthy uh, you're not producing the appropriate amount of uh, the different kinds of chemicals that your brain needs to keep you on an even keel and functioning and learning and so on. And life becomes extremely difficult as you don't have a functioning gut biome. Do you, do you remember what happened back then? Like, do you remember fe- not feeling well, or do you was oh, sure, it, was sure, it sure. thinking back know, that, look, thinking look, back I, that? I, no, no. One of the things about this is that, um, okay, so my, my brother uh, died as a uh, full-fledged, early-onset paranoid schizophrenic. That makes me a typical, a schizotypical, okay? A schizotypical is defined by the study that was done in Denmark in the early 90s as a, as a sibling who survives a, uh, the, uh, a family that has this level of schizophrenia in it. One of the things about schizophrenics is memory. Uh, we are blessed or cursed by the ability to tag uh, images and this kind of thing in a, in a memory fashion that perhaps a lot of other people are not able to do. And in so doing, in so creating these memories, you will find that uh, you create memories of things you would much rather not remember. And when a schizophrenic creates these memories, they have the ability to relive it at a shockingly deep level. And thus they, you know, can go spacey, so to speak, or or hear voices because what they're actually hearing is uh, memory at a, at a level that is so uh, real that the current level of reality seems to fade in its face. And so even as a schizotypical, I've got a really good memory. And yes, I remember how ill I've been and all of the many uh, times I've been to the hospitals and all of this kind of stuff ever since uh, that initial episode with that huge level of vaccine and the shots that they gave me prior to going to Europe. Oh, jeez. That's crazy. So, and nowadays it's even more. What about the, what about your predictive linguistics as far as vaccines go? Like, because it seems like that's another another thing, another topic that's yeah, at I like the tipping to, yeah, point. Like, I like to think okay. we might win that one in my lifetime. Yeah, we will. We will. I was just going to say that one has turned emotionally within the data sets. It's quite clear that the um, uh, the powers that be in that particular regard are on the defensive. 
and that they now have to explain to an increasingly large amount of questioning, and they're doing a very inadequate job of it, so it begets more questioning, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so they're they're on the defensive, and they're going to lose fairly rapidly. I mean, we'll still be dealing with this stuff four or five years out, but um, there will start being legal a lot more legal support available in the form of new laws being passed for people to decide to opt out. Mm-hmm. It is a control mechanism, but that whole control structure does not think that they get enough from that mechanism to be worth the amount of energy it's going to be required on their part in order to sustain it, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they're they're pushed back on on these topics. It's it's too it's too much. It's it's uh it shows how guilty in a way they are. Like if they would if 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 we're all that crazy, and you know they can just label us as something because we, you know, don't buy into geoengineering or vaccines or the UFO cover up or whatever it is, consciousness being separate from from our brain to some level, that the pushback is so great that they're just. They're almost, um, it's backfiring on them, I feel like. Otherwise, they, could, yeah, they should just let us be. I mean, it would all come, you know, the truth would come out, but they're pushing back so hard. It's, it's just, I don't I think it's working against them. It's, aggra- it's aggravating the situation, correct. It is working against their own interest, but these people are not particularly smart. They may be clever about power and stuff, but they're uh, strategically... Um, inept and um, uh, are not particularly good thinkers. You know, they they react and they they are trapped by their own mental processes like all of us. Do you, is there any other, you know, big pendulums you see swinging, swinging in the near future? There's some within our data sets that suggest that um, uh, we're going to have a large amount of ties that is to say, um, bow ties or knots in our conversation, uh, all the topics we've got today that will tie all of these things to Antarctica. So imagine a situation, it sounds rather odd, but imagine a situation where, for whatever reason, Antarctica became frozen very rapidly and it trapped uh, people and their technology in Antarctica under the ice and that becomes um, revealed to us and it turns out that technology is at our equal if not slightly higher than us although on a on a different tact for most of its energetic usages and so on uh, all that that requires okay so the knowledge of that is dangerous because that mere knowledge tells us so much about our own history and it proves so much of the history that's been shoved down our throats as being false. And as soon as you start questioning your own history, you're basically working on yourself. You're getting rid of attachments that people have placed on your mind. And thus, in so doing, you're elevating your own um, uh, presence within our our burgeoning combinoric uh, explosion of techno democracy so to speak right and we'll find that the it's in the within our data sets that the um uh there's a forecast that when we get this release of information it'll come out little dribs and drabs and then we'll get to the point where we start getting uh some level of um healing energy kind of stuff coming out some devices some uh techniques or formulas or whatever and so that'll that'll bind up all of the ideas of the democracy the the mental aspects of it all the 5g network kind of stuff that they're doing but also vaccines and 
the geoengineering. And so we'll be able to examine these things from a different perspective once we've got that that um, knowledge base expanded by what all these other people that were under Antarctica had done with their technology and levels they had reached. That explains all the trips there lately and all the conspiracies around it. So how do you know how that would come out at all or how that would slip sure, out? Sure, it'll come out through the it'll come out through the corporations. This is this is seemingly okay, now this is an analytical bit of stuff, right? This is not related to uh, specific forecasts that come out of my my predictive okay, linguistics. Yeah, yeah. This is this is something I've done, which is to go on doing some analysis. And there have been some very interesting changes in major corporations that cost them time, effort, and and money at very large levels and for seemingly no net gain in this immediate uh, near-term future. Mm. And one of these that we can talk about is the rebranding of SAIC, which was a giant, is a giant corporation within the military-industrial complex that does a lot of work in the UFO field, alternative energy and all this other kind of stuff. But that company rebranded its core investigative research component as LADOS, it then took that company and focused all of those people and all their thinking on Antarctica, and it's doing so at the at and being paid for at some level by the federal government, as though there was some need for that restructuring to occur, such that an isolation could be a Chinese wall, they call it, that uh, that could be put between. Lados and the rest of SAIC such that they could try and compartmentalize whatever the hell it is they think they've found in Antarctica. Mm. And so uh, it'll come out through the corporations. Now, the reason I know this is because we're now flattening out the employment uh, hiring for Antarctica. So they're hiring physical therapists, they're hiring cooks, they're hiring um, uh, mechanics, they're hiring programmers, <laughs> all different kinds of people for all different kinds of stuff, right? And as they get more and more and more and more people, then the ability to exercise absolute control on what's coming out reaches a certain critical point and then it fails totally. And so uh, it'll come out that way just because the corporations have a need to get personnel down there. And at some point, they can't control the sheer number of people they need to have down there working. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I didn't know that, that connection to the corporations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, Antarctica, if you really read, uh, do some research into the geopolitical aspect of Antarctica, its own population, and the things that are going on that are against the law, uh, even in Antarctica, you find that there's a lot of the stuff that's happening down there that doesn't make sense, and at least insofar as what's being expressed. And then you go and uh, look, and, oh, there's this, you know, a military-industrial complex uh, corporation behind this subsection of whatever it is that was annoying your particular attachment at that that moment. <laughs> so, so for instance, I got rather annoyed because supposedly Antarctica is a no-fly zone. All of Antarctica, you just don't go flying around over it, very few exceptions. And yet, if you get on Google Earth or some of the NASA photos of Antarctica from space, and you get to a good level of resolution on a decent monitor, you see that there's airfields and planes and helicopters and shit all over the place. Yeah, and did you see that Fitbit map uh, lately? Yeah. Of that big sea? There's a big sea in Antarctica. Like, it's precise. Someone was actually telling me that they they think that is because of the way the Google <laughs> talking like Graham 
Um, the the way the mapping is done down there, that it's stretched out, and he thinks that it's a circle. It may well be. What intrigued me was not anything uh, as large as that. What I was intrigued by was this little tiny area that had a very curious um, usage pattern. And it, and so you see the trail of the people wearing the Fitbit things yeah. over to over to the little mountain. Yeah, and you know, and then you see that the trail continues up the mountain a little tiny bit. And then you see that's really tight concentrated at the very top of the mountain, but nothing in between. And so, um, and you, you've got to wonder, why is that? Well, one way to consider that is the mountain you're looking at is a pyramid. And once they went inside it, the Fitbit stuff couldn't be transmitted up to the satellite until they got up to the top, you know? And so you look at these kind of, um, uh, instances, and there's a whole lot of weird places down there. There's also places where you see, if you go again and crawl through their heat map, uh, you'll see areas where it, th- th- there's human activity, but there's no sign of how they got there. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> there's, there's just little knots of human activity in these places, but there's no sign of any kind of trail of these people wearing their Fitbits to get there. There's, If you look at the same area in the Google Earth projections, and it's not whited out, it's not grayed over by their uh, alterations of it, then you find that there's no airports near there. There's no no landing strip that you can see. The thing is, is could not possibly be approached from the coast, and yet here people are. And so you've got to wonder, how did they get there? Yep, yep, and there's some trails that start at the coast, and they go, you know, you can see they, they go around the, the cliffs and sort of the Maybe even the maybe what could be an entrance even, and then there's and then it disappears until you know a couple other spots, and then the big sea. So it does seem like, and those are all aligned in a weird, weird way. Like if there was an underground complex, those three things would match uh, horizontally across across the the continent. And it need, yeah. Right, and see, it need not even be um, an underground uh, designed kind of a thing because we were told from ancient descriptions of Atlantis that uh, it was a central area that was surrounded by rings of islands and canals. And if the islands and canals, if if Antarctica is indeed Atlantis, and the islands and canals are underwater or under ice, it may be that the canals themselves are heated by the volcanoes, and you can just take your submarine and go cruising around and all of the canals and stuff in there, and thus could pop out anywhere you wanted, basically. And it's not as though anybody actually ever designed uh, or dug roads uh, in there. Make sense? Yeah. 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 So what do you think? Yeah, I think... Um, you got any more questions from anybody else? I haven't been watching the chats. <clears throat> we we do have to kind of wind down a bit. Yep. I've got to go and get a little bit yeah, of here. Yeah, so. it's probably about time to start winding it down anyway. I mean, uh, I've watched it get dark behind you, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm actually watching the uh, the weather come in off the ocean, and we're going to get hit by a lot of rain here really quick. Oh, are you? Well, we, we're going to get hit with snow, so. So what do people need to know uh, how to find your work and how to follow follow you a little bit more? Uh, I've got a Twitter presence, uh, Cliff High. I've got a YouTube presence, uh, Cliff High, um, until they kick me off of those. Yeah. <laughs> you can find me at halfpasthuman.com. Uh, basically they're on YouTube. Every, uh, everybody has got an algorithm steals my videos and repopulates them. So just bear that in mind. You're probably looking at something that's several years old. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. And is there a platform you're, you're going to jump to after you get censored from all these other ones? 
Sure, I go to Gab AI and I'm yeah. uh, for a, a Twitter alternative, and then I'm looking at some various uh, alternatives for YouTube at the moment, um, and it's uh, it's very promising. Uh, so you know you can do some uh, level of video stuff at a decent level on Steam, and uh, there's a few others that I'm I'm checking into at the moment, but none of them are are blockchain based. <laughs> right on. All right, Cliff, thanks for putting up with all our technical difficulties at the beginning. And sure. uh, yeah, thanks for coming back on. Really appreciate your time and uh, the fascinating conversation. Well, thanks for digging your way through the snow to make it happen. <laughs> right on. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, take care. Stay dry over there. Okay, Bye. we'll see you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that was our second chat with the number one and only Cliff High. The other one was number 181, I think, right? If people want to go back and check that out. It's in the show notes. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, it will be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was really fascinating. I I love it. Learn some stuff, new information. Yeah, it's it always really the guy can he just so blows my mind. Yeah, he's so articulate. Blows my mind. Uh, yeah, big thanks to Cliff for for coming on and putting up with us. Big thanks to the live listeners who put up with a lot of a lot of troubles here tonight too. And uh, yeah. Didn't go yeah. so well for the opening night, but we'll try again next <laughs> time. Well, yeah, it went, it went good the first for a while. Went good. Yeah. That's right. But that's okay. We'll we'll get her. We'll, we'll get figure her it out eventually. Yeah. So, yeah, big thanks to Cliff. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Check out grimerica.ca slash support, guys. Uh, sign up for a recurring payment if you can uh, or a one-time donation. That helps, too. Uh, but, yeah, if you can support the show, please do. We are value for value, and we don't get money from anybody but the listeners. So if you are getting a little value from the podcast, do please think about sending a little value back our way at grammarica.ca slash support so we can buy some fucking better internet. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, other than that, check out the show notes, guys. There's uh, six, seven, eight different ways in there in the honey-do list that um, don't cost you anything and do still help out the show. And don't forget that if you do support the show, you do get access to the Black Budget feed, which has about 20-some episodes in there already. And there's a couple interviews coming up this month for back there. So, yeah, extra content when you support. So think about it. Uh, All right, guys, I think that's about it. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Man, do I sometimes feel foolish playing over these musical sounds. But just a catharsis on many levels When you get it all down Whether or not you get me a singing clown Enough with the wasting time Here's my ideas for the million suns in enlightenment Don't be a servant to the system The plan will be to stick it to the man But you say what if the man can stick it to me With more pork I'd say Disobey In any way Shape or form And don't be to these masters of war How do you become a servant to these masters of war? Personally, I don't ever want to be a servant
say they like coast to coast But on demand Raw and uncut interviews And all without no ads One says false and one says true And the rate you sing grows too America, America is here for you Stories from the listeners They sent to Graham He'll read them and be amazed But Darren may say no One says red and one says blue But if it's balls it just won't do Grimerica, Grimerica is here for you Sent 